yes, the beautiful sounds of the sea. I actually haven't had the chance to use our sea soundtrack for a little time, but what better opportunity than episode 134 of The Cool Room, where we're going to be speaking to our friends from Sea Legs. Uh, That's going to be coming up in a few moments, but first let me take care of a few little housekeeping things. Uh, I'm your host, David Griffiths. It's fun to be here with you today. Mr Warren Wu, my very good friend, will be joining me soon uh, for our chat with Sea Legs. Uh, I just wanted to let you know about our June tasting pack, which is currently rolling out. Uh, There are three great breweries included in there. 25 beers in all and some really exciting ones. Uh, We've got six beers from Shambles, who come from Tasmania. We've got eight beers from Town Brewery, who are going to be joining us live from Canada. Uh, And we have 11 beers from our very good friends at Torboy and Moose, uh, including their 20%, yep, that's right, 20% Eisenbach, which they brewed for their fifth birthday. Even just looking at the labels of these 25 cans, they look amazing. Uh, I think the beers that are within them are going to be equally amazing. Uh, Jump onto our Instagram, jump onto our Facebook if you want to get a look at them, and um, jump onto our Shopify store, uh, which you can find by Googling us, uh, if you want to get those beers home delivered out in time for you to enjoy them while we do our live Meet the Brewers rather than the podcast version. The other thing that I'm really excited to let you know about is our upcoming event at Beer Deluxe in Federation Square with our friends from Sierra Nevada. Uh, It's going to be an awesome day. Talina, the legendary chef down there, has imagined six awesome courses of food to accompany seven beers that we're going to have on tap from Sierra Nevada and we're going to do a live hookup. I'm not sure how yet, I'm really looking forward to figuring that one out Uh, but so we're going to be talking live with the brewers in California while we sit in Federation Square Beer Deluxe uh, enjoying the beers. It's going to be a ripper, Uh, there's limited tickets, again check out our Facebook page, go to the events section there and you can learn more about it. Um, Rightio, without any further ado, let me hand over to my good friend Warren Wu, who's going to get us kicked off with Sea Legs. Warren Wu, is how cold it is, how little energy there is in all of Australia, and what it's like to be talking to someone from Queensland. Normally we'd be really jealous, but I think it's going to be pretty chilly up there as well. Yeah, and and they're a lot soggier up there than it's been down here, which is kind of nice to to have someone else envious of of our weather but yeah it's 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 good to have after what 130 plus episodes we finally finally have a Queensland brewery and yes very very excited I, I literally sort of had to go through the list and double check because I can't believe it's been that long given how many other like, we've gone all around the world yeah. and haven't been to Queensland yeah and we're like, that's one of the areas where we really need to, we need to do more exploring because yeah, it's, it's a lot, a lot of great stuff happening in Queensland. So we really need to do that. It's, yeah, take care of, take care of all the guys in that, in the north of our, uh, north of us. Yeah, we, we just haven't done it, which is a real surprise, a real surprise. But, um, but tonight we're lucky enough to have uh, the guys from Sea Legs. We've got um, yeah John Fuchs and who is the the founder and head brewer, and we also have uh, Abby Heslop who is the lead brewer there. And we so so yeah, we've we've got we've got 
people we can really interrogate and really get into to, to find out the, the the backbone of this whole brewery. So, John, we might start with you. Oh no, let's do our let's do our usual introductions. I think we've got to do it that way. Yeah, no, I think we got to. And and like I always like I don't know if you you picked up on this, but I always like starting with the other person doing the introduction because I think there's a little complexity that occurs when when I ask Abby if she could please introduce John and tell us a little bit about how he is to work with and his favourite <laughs> beer. <laughs> well, go, start. Yeah, go, do it, yes, <laughs> welcome. Yeah. Well, uh, this is John, everyone. Um, he is... American. He's originally from Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think he's been living in Australia for eight, seven, eight years, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, anyway, he's honestly a great boss to work for. Absolutely love it. Gives me free reign on a lot of things, a uh, lot of freedom. Um, and I know he loves a good IPA, but I think he also is really into. No, Say no, no, yeah, no, not seltzers. <laughs> that was definitely something you said the other day, but honestly, I must have just escaped my mind. But that's John for you. Um, <laughs> I don't know what else. Great. Love it. <laughs> John, tell us about how it is to work with Abby and uh, what she does and, uh, yeah, her favourite beer. Yeah, so... Um... <clears throat> Yeah, Abby's been, um, she's been with us for, oh, maybe coming up on two and a half years, I think. And um, yeah, she's, you know, she was the second brewer beyond myself um, and a guy who we had who worked in the cellar. And um, yeah, she, she, uh, she comes from a bit of a wine making background. So her parents own a winery up in Mount Tambourine. Um, that's just, uh, kind of Southeast Queensland and, um, it's called Witches Falls Winery. And, um, we randomly became in touch, uh, just through, um, their sales rep actually. And, um, yeah, she was, she had just finished uni for viticulture and onology and, um, you know, kind of that winemaking path, but, um, was pretty intrigued by beer making and, um, yeah, we kind of had a bit of a chat and, one thing led to another and brought her on board and um yeah she's kind of she's done such a great job and learned everything that's ever been put on her from day one and um yeah she's kind of taken the reins and now she's um she's our lead brewer which um you know is probably slowly morphing into more of a head brewer role as I'm tied up with other things but um yeah, she she leads the team. We've got uh, two other brewers that um, she kind of leads and directs and executes everything that we have going on. Um, I don't really touch any of the beer. I don't brew beer. I don't do much. I do canning. But um, the uh, yeah, she she takes it all and runs with it. And um, yeah, yeah, she's great. Um, and in terms of her favorite beer, um, her and I both have probably a love for um IPAs and typically we we have a bit of a gravitation toward like a like a pretty firm west coast IPA that's you know got you know borderline like face melting bitterness and oh, yeah. um 
all that type of stuff. But um, I'd say that, but um, we're in the process of brewing a beer right now with peanut butter. And um, we were in Melbourne just two weeks ago. Uh, and we were at Bad Shepherd for a Canada Day uh, collab brew that we've got going on. And um, yeah, we had a fair few of their peanut butter porters. And I'd maybe say that for now. Given awesome. mm, a few a few little scoops in early there. Mm. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Much of an in-depth introduction for you, John. <laughs> that's that's terrific. Yeah. It's nice when a boss actually takes interest in in the in the co-workers. That's pretty cool. Um, I think it's fair to say the boss has more idea about the, the co-workers uh tasting beers there than John's. I think that's that no, so I, think, I, think I'm just, I think I'm just that simple. So <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that sets up the dynamic nicely for the night now. So there's already yeah. a little bit of competition and a little bit of, you know, a little bit of something there to play with. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so let's let's move on to the brewery itself. Uh, tell us about tell us about Sea uh, Legs. Tell us about where it started and 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 the idea and philosophy behind it. And yeah, the name so, as well. Uh, oh, and the name, yeah, of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there's a story there as well. Um, yeah, it's uh, it 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 came from kind of started as most breweries probably do as a bit of a love for just home brewing in general, and um, it was uh, you know I've been a long time home brewer since long before I moved here, and um, I'm from Colorado. There's a fair bit of a scene there. Um, mm. And, uh, and I come from an engineering background. So I moved here as an engineer for work. And um, yeah, just longtime home brewer is always a bit of a pipe dream to open a brewery, uh, especially back in Colorado. And, you know, it was so competitive. And I'm like, uh, first off, I don't have the money. And second off, like, how do you really compete with all the great beer and all the breweries, like so many breweries. But um Anyways, yeah, moved here and uh, that was 2013 and um, yeah, I was working here and I was working with uh, two Canadian guys and an Aussie guy and um, I didn't, I didn't know that I'd stay in Australia at the time, but I met my now wife not long after that and so um, as it started to look like, you know, um, things like I'd be probably staying here for a while. I went to Bunnings and made myself a homebrew kit because I hadn't homebrewed in a while. And, um, yeah, I had the Esky. I'm going to stop you there. What did you, what did you buy at Bunnings? So we are very familiar with the idea that you go to the homebrew store yeah, and buy a couple bought, of things. Uh, did you, did bought, you already go up a level there? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I bought a, uh, I bought an Esky and uh to use as a mash tun and i bought some just rubber tubing to kind of i drilled a bunch of holes in them and made that kind of my false bottom so kind of like what you'd use to run off and water out of and uh bought a big uh copper just a big length of copper and uh made a bit of a coil and put some uh garden hose on it and that was my chilling kind of unit and uh bought a sump pump and another esky that I would put ice in, and I'd use that to quickly chill my brew after boiling. And uh, brought uh, like a big turkey fryer burner and a big kind of pot, and 
then I found a few small fermenters online and uh, like a cheap used fridge that I used as kind of like my temperature control. And, and there's a lot that went into it, to be honest. But um, there's, a, there's a level of commitment there pretty early, yeah. I've got to say. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there definitely is. Yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah, I had a nice bit of homebrewing kit back home. And um, when I moved here, I moved here with three suitcases. Like I left all my stuff there. I didn't know that I'd be staying and it's actually still in the States, all that stuff. But um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, I like to, I don't know, sometimes I bite off more than I can chew. I just like to make things or think I can do things that maybe I can't. But um, <clears throat> anyways, uh, yeah, so made a bit of a homebrew kit and had a couple of my fellow engineering mates over one day when we were sampling some of my previous brews and um, just doing a bit of a brew at the same time. And next thing you know, we one thing led to another and we started chatting about a brewery. And I remember when I first moved here, uh, especially in Brisbane, um, you know, 2013, I think Green Beacon had just opened. Newstead wasn't very old. And outside of that, there weren't really any other craft breweries. Um, and, you know, it was, I, I, there was one or two others, but um, it was pretty, it was pretty thin. And I, I remember thinking like, gosh, I, I feel like this could totally be a place where it could, there could be a bit more of a boom and it makes it a bit more intriguing, you know? And um, yeah. So uh, next thing I know, we're all chatting about a brewery and this is maybe 2015 and yeah, originally looked for uh, something really small. Like we didn't have intentions of doing anything that big, especially from a venue perspective. And um we just weren't finding anything in the areas we were. And then randomly a friend of mine put us onto this uh, warehouse in Kangaroo Point that was probably at least two times the size of what we were planning. But um, it's a great spot. The area we're at in Kangaroo Point's just like a really lovely kind of, it's like a little bit, it's like an oasis that's like a stone's throw from the CBD. You're kind of separated by the river, but the city's like right there. And it's pretty heavily populated. And um, yeah, we wound up going with that. And after a lot of work, we wound up opening there in 2018. And uh, yeah, we've got a 15 hectoliter brew house. When we opened in 2018, we had uh, 9,000. We have the venue and the brewery are all very much a part of each other. Um, especially nowadays but um yeah we've got a venue that's all it's all right there um the venue can seat up to 300 or something like that wow um so it's a decent sized venue much mm. bigger than we intended and um yeah so then we opened there in 2018 and um uh, yeah it was just myself brewing at the time and then yeah well, hang on, John, we've lost you there. Yeah, I, I accidentally swiped my uh, <laughs> pad there. But um, yeah, after a couple of years, we expanded our tanks from 9,000 to 15,000 liters. And then we've just this year uh, expanded from 15 to 39,000 liters. So wow. um, it really, really ups our capacity and allows us to do what we want. And we found we were doing a fair bit of contract brewing while we were waiting for those tanks. And um it's nice to have it all back in the house and um, yeah, brewing heaps of beer and we spent a fair bit of time catching up. So we haven't had much in the limited release world. 
across the last six to seven months, uh, aside from our pineapple jalapeno beer, which you would have. Um, mm. But we've kind of caught up with all of our core range beers, and now we're, I think we've got like seven limited releases in tanks right now, something like that. Wow. So nine. It's a big, yeah, nine. nine. Right. nine. So there you go, yeah. Um, yeah, it's always been a big part of what we've done. And then, yeah, we've just, we had to kind of pump the brakes to catch up on other things. And now that we're caught up, we can kind of get back into that. And yeah. Before before we really get into talking about the history of the brewery, both of you as brewers and about the beers, I feel like I want to take us back a step because we've got as many, if not more overseas listeners now than we do in Australia. And yep. When you say Kangaroo Point in Brisbane, I can just imagine what all of our listeners in Japan and Norway and places, <laughs> they're, they're going to come over and visit the brewery with an expectation that they're going to have to push the kangaroos out of their way yeah. to get in the front door. <laughs> um, Abby, do you want to tell us a bit, you know, just describe, you know, for, for all of those overseas people, what Brisbane's like, you know, whereabouts in Australia it is. And, um, you know, how that relates to the beers that you make uh, and you know, how many kangaroos you see when you look out the window at Kangaroo Point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's very, you know, it's, it's heavily populated with, um, you know, apartment blocks and all that type of stuff. There's, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe five or so warehouses and we're one of them. Um, and one of them is a gym. There's a few other things, but um yeah, it's pretty heavily populated. It's very, very residential and it's um, very close to the CBD, although it's separated by the river. So, um, but absolutely no kangaroos down there. Um, <laughs> there's not a lot of green space, although there is a park right on the tip of the peninsula up the street from us. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> awesome. um, I suppose we should talk about our first beer and as uh, as i as i normally do i've smashed it and now i've started on the second beer but let's let's not dwell on that um yeah so the tropical lager is what what we've started on and yeah it was a very smashable beer but tell us about the tropical lager what's what is a tropical lager to start with i suppose that's a good good place to what yeah for you guys what what is that well it's it's <coughs> sorry um it's a style that probably doesn't have any necessary home. Although if it did have a home, I'd say it's probably in Queensland and maybe even Southeast Queensland. And, um, you know, we always intended on having a lager. We always intended on having a smashable lager and, um, we've always loved using hops and we thought what better way than to use some hops to try to express more tropical fruity kind of characters in in a lager. So, um you know it's a very traditional uh kind of german style lager that's you know uh receives a pretty decent dry hop um and uh yeah the biggest the biggest lot of that dry hop is uh aussie hop galaxy um and then there's some mosaic in there and um in terms of the beer it's it's our second most popular beer um and it's still evolving. We, we're kind of always playing with our process, but I think the latest version of it is and has almost always been its best self, which is good. And um, 
yeah, it's uh, it's very smashable, um, and we we quite like that you get this tropical fruity hop character um, along with a bit of a kind of a mixed berry kind of effect from the mosaic hops, and um, yeah, that's that's our tropical lager. Is is there a is there something that you based it on? Is there inspiration from this, or was it just a desire to create that really lovely clean? Uh, lager that sessionable lager and then put just a little bit more interest where where did it come from the uh to be honest i'd say it's mostly climate related um Mm -hmm. you know we we we're in this very tropical place and i'd say especially for like myself and the two canadians who are in the ownership group we're not from tropical places and Mm -hmm. you know being here in australia and especially kind of queensland you get you know it's pretty tropical and something we're not used to. And I think it's, it's just something about our home in Queensland that, that really kind of inspired it. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's where it came from. Um, Can I ask in this one, what does the lagering bring to the beer? So, you know, remember that we have sort of new brew, uh, new craft beer drinkers and, and more established ones. The hop bit, I think most of us can probably get that pretty easily out of this. Tell us how the lager process, um, you know, delivers what that's delivering to what we're drinking. Well, the biggest, the biggest thing that it's delivering is um, a bit of a, a cleaner profile, most specifically due to the yeast and the and the ferment that it goes through. So it's a it's a lower temperature ferment, um, which um, produces a much cleaner, much crisper beer. Um, we don't lager it for a terrible amount of time in terms of when I say lager, it doesn't sit in a tank and sit there and brighten up and crisp up and crisp up, um, mostly because we don't need to. Um, and it doesn't massively change the beer because the ferment process kind of gives us what we're after there. And that's that's really that really clean, really crisp kind of backbone that's there to help support you know, the dry hop that we're giving it. So. Yeah. I was thinking of backtracking a little bit and maybe we'll, we'll throw this one to Abby. Um, because we're kind of removed from the Queensland market, it, it, it's a bit of a mystery to us. Um, can you give us a little bit of history on craft beer? I know you're from a wine background, but yeah, how, how did, how, how has it kind of developed and what have you seen in your time? Um, but yeah, even before that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess I'm fairly new to the craft beer industry. Like John said, I've been working at Sea Legs for two and a half years now. Um, and before that I hadn't worked, hadn't really worked in a brewery. So, um, still relatively new, but, um, yeah, like John said, when he arrived in Australia, it was literally Green Beacon and Newston. And that's really what I remembered even like when I started to drink, that's all I could really remember. Um, the craft breweries being around. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I guess in even the last like three, two, three years, it's just gone a bit berserk really in terms of there's just seems to be a new craft brewery opening up like nearly every couple of months. So um, there's definitely interest for it and people are really getting around it. Um, but yeah, it's just honestly gone crazy over the last couple of years, I'd say. So um yeah, that's yeah. that's much to it. But I mean, yeah, I 
like all I remember really growing, well, not even growing up, but before I went to uni and everything, there was really just green bacon in Newstead and that was kind of it for a bit. Um, but now there are so many more craft breweries out there in Brisbane, Gold Coast, Sunny Coast, like that whole area. There's just so much to explore. I've, um, I've never... I've never had to shovel out, uh, like I've never had to shovel out, out whatever's left over, like the mash. Um, yeah. Brewery. Give it time. But I, yeah, I'll get there, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but I've, I've shoveled out tons of fermenters full of mast. Yeah. <laughs> which, one, which one's tougher? Um, well, I, I'd actually say the must is tougher, yeah, to be great. honest, because like with the, well, I mean, with our setup, we've got um, a three-vessel brew house. So we've got a mash tun, water ton, and a um, kettle whirlpool. And then the water mm-hmm. ton, we've got rakes, well, like as most. Oh, really? Do as well. So, you know, it mixes all up. So you chuck the rakes on and it kind of helps it pull, push the grain out a little bit, whereas you don't really have that in a... No, you don't have that in a wine fermenter or anything. Yeah. Whatever fermenter it's fermenting in, you've just got to actually hop into the tank and... it's really um it's really hard sometimes it's like trying to dig into concrete sometimes yeah Yeah. like when you when you've got like a yeah all the all the like the stems and stuff that you have to dig i'm kind of okay with it yeah okay yeah 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 Yeah. i'd I'd rather i'd rather dig out the lot of time than uh okay cool (laughs) see now i'm more yeah, now the beer industry is a little bit more interesting. Like the mate, yeah. As, um, as ever, you've managed to get us off beer and onto wine. You're I, I always do it at some mate, point, so. especially when yeah. I, like, I was going to ask a question to, to, to Abby or John, whoever wants to take it, but there's some really clear signs in your beers about how you try to represent Queensland or respond to the environment mm. and, the, and what people want to drink up there. Do you think that other Queensland breweries are bring that on when you're talking about those new ones? Don't even need to name names, but how many breweries are sort of distinctively Queensland? And we'll have a bit more of a chat about that as we work through some of the other beers that you've got in the lineup, perhaps. Uh, I might give this one to John. (laughs) (laughs) He's there, I'm sure of it. We've got him to turn off his, we can't see him. Maybe it's just. I'll just view Abby oh, for the rest. Sorry, of the sorry, I had a mute. I was <laughs> in the middle of answering. <clears throat> but, um, I love. No, it. it's 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 absolutely a thing, and um, you know, there's there's absolutely a, a pale ale and a lager and a XPA that are all seem to be very, you know, very kind of Queensland. You know, whether it's. Uh, Oh, like a Your Mates Larry or a Balter XPA. Like there's something, something very kind of tropical and fresh and like something you want to have at the beach. Not that you can't do that all over Australia, but it, it feels very Queensland to me. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely a thing. Um, I think now would be a nice time to move, to move on. I, I think it's an excellent, so we're going to move on to the Pale Ale and we'll have a bit of a chat about that, but we can almost pick up that same sort of thought yeah. going forward is it you know why why is this pale ale distinctively a sea legs pale ale and you know what's I, I lo- behind I, that just a quick little comment i like the fact that they they have gone for that traditional american pale ale like that slightly darker um kind of execution of that where they could have gone more pale and really had been 
a little bit more, I suppose, a little bit more Queensland because, you know, you think bright, sunny, but instead just those little, just slightly, yeah, a few darker molds keep it really, I think, more of a pale, more of that American parallel. Would that be right, guys? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think, um, you know, this one's probably not so much brewed to suit Queensland as much as it's more brewed to suit what I prefer. <laughs> um, just, I think maybe coming from North America, um, you know, and coming from areas that, you know, you don't have the same kind of tropical climate where um, you're used to like a more robust pale ale that's, yeah, absolutely uses some darker malts, has a bit more bitter, bitterness, a bit, a bit more ABV, which in general just brings a more robust beer, you know, mm. and it's, it's heavily dry hopped and it's, um, yeah, it's a beer that uh, it's our absolute number one seller and it's, you know, to this day, it's probably my favorite beer that we make um, and have made. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think, I think it was uh, the original kind of concept was more, more around, um, you know, a bit of, a bit of a preference thing. And also, you know, we've, we actually felt there was a bit of a gap in the market for that type of beer um, mm-hmm. because there's not a lot in Australia where you, there's not a lot of pale ales that are like it, I'd say. So um, in terms of how robust it is, it's ABV, like you can find IPAs that are 5.6%, you know, mm. so, um, and I'm not calling it an IPA, but um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's for us at our core, it, it was more about us as opposed to say Queensland, you know. <clears throat> But like, yeah, like John says, it totally works though because it does set us apart from a lot of other Queensland breweries that like everyone has a pale ale really. Um, but kind of going back to that conversation before, it's Queensland. So a lot of people do want like a nice summery smashable beer. So, um, I mean, I love that we've kind of gone the other direction and created like a really big, robust pale ale um, just because it sets us apart as a point of difference. So. And I think that's really fascinating. So, you know, again, for sort of newer, you know, craft beer drinkers who might be having, you know, your beers, you've got that whole range in your lineup from pails to IPAs to sessions. Uh, How would you describe how those all fit together? Those words stylistically can mean so many things to people who pick up a pale ale and go, oh, that wasn't what I was expecting. Um, to, to you guys, how do you decide on what those words mean? Well, it's a good question. And um, <clears throat> it's it's very interesting how they all kind of fit together. Um, and the intention was always to have, you know, a bit of a diverse range of beers. Um, a mid-strength was always going to have to be a part of that. And that's our session ale. Um, and so what percentage is your mid-strength just to? Three and a half percent. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, so, you know, we were keen to have that always very keen to have a lager and, um, you know, a pale and an IPA were absolutely a must. And I'd say those two beers we brewed to kind of us at our core. So, you know, our pails, it's a pretty big pale ale and our IPA is a pretty big IPA in terms of a core range IPA that is. And, um, yeah, and the other one is uh, to have a year-round dark beer. So, um, you know, always something that, 
you know, it might be a hot summery day, but maybe, maybe you feel like, you know, something that's more like dessert, <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, yeah, a, a milk stout seemed to really suit the bill for us. And yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit fairly diverse, I'd say, aside from our IPA and pale ale are down two specific kind of paths of a West Coast kind of American style mm. beer. But um, yeah, I think, yeah, we trying to tailor to, you know, a handful of different crowds while trying to stay true to us at our core and um, trying to be a bit unique at the same time. I've got to say for me, I, I get the West Coast hops, but even just on the nose, the other thing that I, you know, makes West Coast, West Coast to me is that malt kick mm. and sort of sweetness that comes through. And I think that I'm, I get that on the nose for new, yeah. again, for newer drinkers, even before I get to the hops. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, <clears throat> it's got a it's got a decent malt bill, and there's some uh, you know crystal malt and those types of things in there, and um, yeah, then a then a pretty big hop bill to go with it. So um, four different hops and uh, all American hops, really just the kind of the traditional North American heavy hitters, Chinook, uh, yeah, all those types. So Chinook Centennial. Um, when you when you say all American, are you sourcing them from America or yeah, how much um, do you source locally? I guess is an interesting question. Well, so there's uh, <clears throat> I'd say majority of our hops come from North America, and majority of craft beer hops in general kind of come like new new age craft beer hops come from North America, kind of that Pacific Northwest area, the Yakima Valley. So, you know, Citra, Mosaic, I think they're the two most popular hops in the world. They both come from there. And, um, but there's, <clears throat> there's plenty of absolutely great Aussie hops and we use a bit of them. Um, most specifically Galaxy, which is probably, you know, the most renowned and um, it's out of Tasmania and uh, yeah, it's great. So um, we get a bit out of New Zealand as well. There's some really, really nice hops that come out of New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw, because you mentioned, because you kind of mentioned the construction there and you've, you've talked about some hops, do you have any, like James has asked in the room, do you have any favourite New Zealand hops? Um, do you have th- some that really stand out? But I'm also interested, is that, like I'm really, I'm I'm really pro cool in terms of in what I do and what I drink. But like I like to drink um, things about my my you know that I'm close to. Like we we generally drink a lot of Victorian beers. We love them. We think they're the best. <clears throat> so what's your favorite kiwi hops? But yeah, do you think what what's your feeling in terms of where the U.S. hop market now sits in the world since it's it's kind of diversifying. It's getting yeah, it's changing. Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, in terms of New Zealand hops, there's a lot of really new age and pretty, I don't know if the right word's exotic, but they seem mm. to be a bit exotic um, hops. And um, it's something we play with a fair bit in our limited releases, uh, especially IPAs. Um, and, you know, that's Rewaka hops. Uh, we've done a fair bit with Nelson Salvin, which is a bit of a polarizing hop. It's kind mm. of got I that white wine, gooseberry character. Yeah. Um, 
And then the other one would be Rakao, which is uh, something we've actually just recently uh, introduced into our tropical lager. So um, as a, it's a, it's a smaller addition, but it's absolutely a part of it. So um, yeah, in terms of that, I think, yeah. And it's, it's very interesting to see what direction it's going, um, especially not only, you know, New Zealand, but Australia. And uh, I think it's great, you know, like the, the kind of very traditional um, newish age hops of North America will always be around in some mm. form or another, but I think, um, I think it's great that, you know, there's more and more, especially coming from, um, you know, this, this kind of end of the world. And I think, I think there's absolutely a climate that suits it. And I think that it, it produces some pretty unique things. So, um, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. <clears throat> I, I like the, I kind of find it interesting, the feeling that, that John, you, you, you basically come from a world where, where, like if you if you were European and you were looking at the American hop scene going, well, that's exotic. It's interesting to have someone who kind of has grown up in the US beer scene look at something else and go, well, now that's exotic. Mm. Absolutely. It's, uh, I, find that, I find that amazing and really, really interesting. Like, yeah, there's there's that you you kind of you're almost a person who can sit and look in the middle of all of it and look around and go, oh yeah, there's the future and there's the past and here's where I've come from. And yeah, I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. 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 It's pretty cool. And it's, man, it's pretty cool to see how it all evolves, you know, and to see even the new experimental varieties that are coming out um, from this end of the world. And yeah, we're keen to use all of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. I feel the need to ask a question, which is not on the script and sort of, in one sense, I should have asked a bit earlier, but John, when you came to Australia, was it, why did you come? Was it with a view to sort of doing anything in sort of the craft beer industry or was it with an engineering hat on and other oh, things? Man, because... I... What type of engineer are you? That's the other thing. That we uh, I was a chemical engineer previously. Oh, okay. So, um, but uh, man, I, I had no intention of opening a craft beer, craft brewery when I moved here. I'd, um, you know, I was at an interesting place in my career and um, I was, I wouldn't say I was stuck at where I was at, but I was keen to grow and also keen to travel. And so, you know, Australia was always on my list for um, probably mostly tropical reasons, but, um, you know, it's, I, I, I intended to travel for a while and um, which uh, just travel for work really, but um you know, I didn't, didn't expect to meet my wife when I moved here pretty quickly. And I also didn't expect to open a brewery. So, um, yeah, I was, I was, I was on the move to travel and work and, you know, do those types of things before I settled down, but here I am. And maybe I guess the same sort of question for you in one sense, which is that bit of, you know, when did you realize, that, you know, craft beer as opposed to, you know, where was that moment of, oh, no, there's breweries. I could do some fun things there. Yeah, it was probably... That was a question um, for Abby, John. Oh, John, back off. <laughs> I mean, I'm really happy she went on a crack at it. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, but give Abby, yeah. Sorry, I'm just hijacking the whole thing. <laughs> we, love we love excited founders and brewers. <laughs> um, well, yeah, well, like, like John said, I have a winemaking background, um, so... 
I studied viticulture and enology at university um, in Adelaide. But I guess even before that, I my dad was always into like my dad's a winemaker and he owns a small business, winery, everything. And um, he's always into supporting more independent breweries. So even growing up, I mean, there wasn't really much, like we said, in Queensland for craft breweries. But um, even as I got older, we started doing a bit of home brewing together, just as kind of a hobby, and um, which was kind of fun. Um, and on my uni holidays, whenever I'd go home, we'd make beers to get together and everything. And then in my third year of uni, I actually did it over in California on exchange. And that's really where um, I saw all this like crafty potential. I was like, shit, this is, well, this is really cool. It's okay, we say far worse than that. Okay, so <laughs> I was like, this is really awesome. Um, and obviously being uni on exchange, you know, you drink a lot of beer and everything. So I really got around it. And um, even in the university, there was, I went to UC Davis over there and there was um, some brewing classes there as well. So I took a couple of them as electives and I really got into it. So I finished off my degree as a winemaker and I was like gosh I can make wine um but I also love beer as well so why not give that a go as well because I'd love to do both because I can so (laughs) that's kind of how I got into it um yeah I'm from Queensland and I wanted to move a bit closer to home as well so that's kind of where I hit up sea legs to see if I could get a leg in the door really the the a, a, a wobbly leg, a sea leg in the door. I don't think we've yeah, yeah. fully gone oh, through that. Oh, we haven't that. gone through the yes. end. Oh, yeah. By the, by the way, Abby, your dad sounds like the most awesome human being ever. Like, <laughs> Pretty cool. Well, I was going to ask the question because, again, for overseas listeners, we haven't had Queensland breweries on before, but Queensland wineries in one sense yeah. are even oh, rarer beasts. Yeah. 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 Granite yeah. Hills is, is apparently... But yeah, it's it's getting there though. Like it's really finding its its feet. I think people want to like granted. Like the Queensland wine industry is definitely getting there. Um people want to fight it, especially from out of yeah. state. Um and kind of not refuse, but like not admit that Queensland can actually produce good wine, whereas we actually really can. We've got a great climate for it, especially inland East Stanthorpe. Mm. So um yeah. It's it's a thing. Queensland produces unreal wine. <laughs> Thanks for correcting me, Muggs. I said Granite Hills, but yeah, the Granite Belt. Yeah, Granite Belt, yeah. yeah. It's really fast. Yeah, I think it's really fast. Yeah, I think there'll yeah. be some fascinating stuff. Just like UK champagne, UK sparkling. With everyone, <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So we'll go on, Warren. <laughs> no, let's not. <laughs> let's please not. I like one day I want to be brewing beer with my daughter, but I doubt it. I don't think she's, yeah. She's trying to get me to wear an Elsa dress. I don't even know what that is. I was going to (laughs) often edit that out until you said that last bit. I just want to see you brew. If ever we do a brew day, mate, maybe we will very soon. I want you to wear the Elsa dress. (laughs) If it it can mean at one stage of my life, I'm brewing beer with my kids, then that's fine. They'll work. Well, let's get back on track i feel like we've got the, the ship has gone off track <laughs> yeah yeah 
Um, so, well, what do we, what do we, all right. So I, I'm excited to move on to the next beer, which means we normally put in a small break for everyone to just kind of just reset and, and recharge. Uh, what do you think, David? Should we? Well, there was, there was one question yeah. left and I guess we've, we've been throwing between the questions between Jonathan and Abby so far, but Really interested to hear how that working relationship goes, uh, you know, because mm. uh, I'm always fascinated. I always make a point behind the scenes to ask how people like to be referred to it in terms of John as head brewer and Abby as lead brewer. Um, I don't think we've actually had a brewer on before described as lead brewer. And I'm really interested to hear how those two roles relate to each other, particularly given what John said at the beginning about you know, sort of not being on the tools that much mm. these days. So what does a day in the brewery look like and how do you guys work together in a, in a, in a small business, I guess? Yeah, well, I think um, it's interesting because, yeah, the term head brewer anymore, it's, I, I think I mentioned it earlier that um, Abby's role's just slowly morphing into that um, as I'm just busy with heaps of other different things. But um, yeah, in terms of, our days and how our working relationship is it's you know it's it's very collaborative so um very collaborative in general but in terms of the working daily brewing looking after beer packaging abby absolutely directs and leads all of that and that's i'd say that's where the term lead brewer came from um and um yeah and and beyond that, you know, like I said, I'm not terribly hands-on with specifically the beer making process, but, um, you know, when we're drafting up, say, the schedule for the year or the schedule for the next six months, which we've just spent a lot of time on, um, you know, we sit down and we go through, you know, all of the recipes, all of the beer concepts, all those types of things, and we do it together. And then, you know, as beers are tracking, um, say it's a limited release IPA and we want to do three dry hops and we're debating how we're going to approach it or if it's something that we want to add more fruit to or not, like we absolutely kind of sit down, not only her and I, but also our other two brewers and, you know, we really kind of chat it out as much as we can. Um, and yeah, and, you know, there's also, uh, as we've grown a bit, i um, a bit less available around the brewery. And so, um, you know, at the same time, absolutely confident that Abby just leads all of that and, you know, takes things and makes, makes a decision. And I'm confident in any decision that she makes and um, she does it with the team. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. We have a really, really good group and it's, you know, we're all very open to each other and, um, everyone absolutely works their asses off and uh yeah we it's very collaborative and you know when when things go awry or if we're not all around like everyone picks up everyone's slack where they need to and um yeah it's great so well i've got to abby first of all there's some things to use in your annual review there i think you've got <laughs> the comments that you want just pull those quotes out use yeah. them on your cv or wherever you need to do but from your point of view what's it like to sort of take you know in a good way take over that a little bit more and more every day and yeah. also inherit recipes that you know maybe you want to tweak a little bit yeah yeah well i mean i absolutely love it i mean i love the freedom and that very much came early on 
um, from John, which I respect like so much. Um, but um, yeah, no, I love kind of leading the team and being able to make decisions and making calls and everything. But also in saying that, I know John's always there and he always kind of has my back and he's always there to be able to answer any questions that I have. Um, and anything I'm really unsure on, I just kind of go to him and ask. And like you said, it's very collaborative. Um, uh, we sit down, we go through everything. And yeah, like I said, if, if I'm ever unsure or even not unsure, but just kind of want to see his perspective or his point of view on something, um, obviously I value his opinion a lot. So I want to be able to go to him and, and I do go to him and just kind of um, run, run him through or run by him, whatever, whatever question or yeah, whatever kind of, whatever's going on kind of keeps Mostly we just get to learn a lot of lessons together. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> a really hard way, but. Um, That's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah. We kind of like to go all in. So, I mean, I, I guess when, whatever it is, we, yeah, we learn, we learn a lot together. <laughs> I reckon that's a really good point to have a little pause and we'll uh, we'll come back after a little break here and I'll edit all of these bits out uh, <laughs> the podcast version. And while the podcast uh, version kicks along, we're having our little break in the live Zoom room. Good opportunity for me to remind you all to make sure that you subscribe to the podcast if you're enjoying listening to it. Uh, that way you never miss an episode, but it's also one of the great ways that we're able to show breweries that we're asking to come on just how many people listen and follow us, and that encourages them to want to be part of the podcast. So if you can do that while you're listening, uh, that would be much, much appreciated. Okie dokie, back to the show. If you guys have a, if you guys have nine limited releases currently on the way, and this is any indication, I think it'll be lots and lots of fun. So let's first of all, um, we first of all just to let everyone know, I'm, we're drinking the smoked pineapple and jalapeno. Um, oh, I don't know, sour, so, Abby, sour. Yeah, yep. Um, uh, it is. It is just there's so much. Real, there's so much interesting kind of, kind of spikes of flavour. Uh, would you like to lead us on a bit of a tasting of this one and what what we should expect? What and the and kind of the, the way you went about about producing this beer? Yeah. So um, this actually isn't the first time we brewed this beer. We actually brewed it. Uh, I think it was early last year um, and it was just as popular then. Um, so we kind of put it out to the public and there was a high demand for it. So we brewed it again. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's great because you do get the pineapple, you do get the jalapeno and you do get the smokiness from it as well. So um, we do, we have added some smoked malt, but um, John also smoked the jalapenos as well and, um, on his smoker at home so it's all very hands-on and I guess that's what our like it's a part of our homestead series so um we've had a a fair number of beers in this series now and it's kind of just it's just ongoing and so all of our homestead brews are pretty hands-on um we like to use as many fresh ingredients as possible for them so um yeah and the pineapple's 
no exception really. Do you, do, do you want to describe what the idea of that the homestead the homestead series is all about and what you're what you're trying to do with that? Yeah, yeah. So I guess I think well, it started in twenty twenty, mm-hmm. um, and nearly all of them have been sours just because we've added some sort of fruit or spice or something to them. Um, a couple of them have either been a dark beer or we made a, a pickle pilsner one time as well. Um, but the majority of them have been sours. And I guess the idea behind it was to try and use, um, I guess, as many ingredients either, I don't know, that we have like fresh ingredients that we have access to or local ingredients or, yeah, basically be as hands-on as possible to it. I think on the can, uh, I can't exactly remember exactly what it says, but it's it's kind of from um using ingredients from your pantry really so um yeah as fresh as possible um and we do go a little bit in the weird route with our homestead series as well so we've used rosemary before like I said we've had a pickle pilsner um we've used basil in one coriander in one as well so um yeah we like to have a bit of fun with it but like I said, it's all very hands-on. It's very fun. Um, and they've usually turned, like, well, I think they've turned out all pretty pretty yummy brews. So, yeah, that's the kind of idea behind it. And, and, and it's ongoing. So um, we've got a number of new homesteads lined up for the year and it, I think it'll just keep going until, yeah, it'll just keep going. So, <laughs> yeah. um, do, they're all They all sound like really daring flavours and they kind of, they're, 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 with this guy, their flavors, it's really with in your head they match together because they've got, they're all from a certain style of cuisine. But with those daring flavors, do you do you test them? Do you do you go do you, do you try to try to kind of um, get an idea of where you'll end up before you do a batch? Um, I mean, we do bench trials before we add the ingredients, but I mean, a lot of the times we do like to send it and so um and I think it has worked out um but yeah a lot of the times we just commit to something and we'll go for it and um but I mean we'll have the idea in our head we'll implement it and then while along the way we'll do tests to just see what level um, of I don't know each ingredient that we want to put in in and everything but a lot of the times it's like cool this sounds good this seems like we'll go together let's do it so I'm I'm kind of interested in your idea of sending it. You know, when you say yeah. send it, so okay, I get that. But when you send it, are you going? All right, here's the idea. We're going to stick as much jalapeno and smoked pineapple, or smoked pineapple jalapeno, smoked. We're going to stick as much pineapple jalapeno in this thing as we can, and then and then drive it. Or is it more cautious than that? Do you go? All right, we're going to put, you know, um, half of what we think we might need. Yeah. And then, I think think now when I say send it is like we do have a a pretty good gauge of how much fruit or spice or whatever that we add to the beer has an impact on the actual beer. So I think it's just come down to experience of previous brews that we've done. And I guess we did start off maybe on a bit of the cautious side of things and we're like, okay, we've got to add more, we've got to add more, we've got to add more until we get to the level that we want because obviously if this says pineapple on the label, you want it to taste like pineapple. Yeah, there's jalapeno you need to get the jalapeno so um I think now with a lot of our fruited beers or um 
I don't know a lot of our beers that we do do additions to, especially fruit. We know some sort of range um, just from experience of the level that we like to hit. Um, and if it needs more, it needs more. That's no worries. But um, we I think it, because we have brewed a number of fruited beers, um, we, we kind of know where it should be at anyway. So, yeah. That's awesome. Can I ask a question here? And this is a really genuine question of both you and John and also Warren. Like to me, you've described this as a sour, but it's for me, it's, it's almost got gozy type of things there. Uh, mm. David in the chat is describing how well it would go with prawns. Like this, I mean this in the most positive way possible. I would love these flavors out of a pizza, like a sort of a Hawaiian pizza where there's some burning flavors and some, some charring in there. Um, but to me, there's almost a saltiness that comes through rather than a sourness, which is why I'm thinking goza rather than sour. Um, is it the process that leads you guys to call this a sour or, you know, how does all of that fit together? It, it, it is a process. Sorry, I'll jump in. Um, so it's, it's a kettle soured beer. Um, and so it's kettle soured and we add a fair bit of fruit, which brings it to a acidic level that you could consider sour, although it's not crazy sour, I wouldn't say. Yeah, not at all. Um, yeah. And, and it's interesting. I think um, it's interesting you say the Goza thing because I think about it and, you know, we absolutely didn't add any salt like like you would a goza, but um, you know if you're having a goza and you're having you know there's some uh, you know like some coriander added at the end of the boil. I wonder if it's more the association with kind of a spice there that that kind of does that you know. Mm-hmm. And it's um it's an interesting one because you say you know it, it you know makes you want to it reminds you of a pizza or something because. The um the original concept came from our uh who is our sales manager now. He um he had made and brought in some uh hot sauce, like a pineapple and jalapeno hot sauce. Mm-hmm. And um and we were like I think we were literally in the middle of exploring like an upcoming homestead and they've all been a bit kind of polarizing flavors like that and off, a bit off the wall for a beer right and so mm-hmm. um yeah it's kind of where it came from but yeah it's 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 very interesting I, i'm loving it just to be really clear like i know that the world is divided on hawaiian pizza for instance i yeah. actually really like it and a hawaiian pizza that tasted more like this you know with, with some really interesting flavors to explore yeah. rather than the average you know hawaiian pizza is where i'm going with my thoughts on this like I'm just going, I've got to make Hawaiian pizza with some chilies on it and see what I can get away with because those sort of smoky flavors. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I hate the fact that people get on the goat about Hawaiian pizza. Like that's, that's what you want to die on. That's the hill you want to die on Hawaiian pizza. I don't know. I think adding a little sweetness and tartness to, to a pizza is not a bad idea because that's what tomato sauce effectively is. There's my yeah, there's my two cents on that. I'm glad we got that non-secretary. <laughs> Thanks, David. <laughs> this this after you know, 131 episodes, we finally found the hill we're gonna die on. Yeah, that's it. It's like, 
Or no, we're not dying on it. We love Hawaii Beach. Anyway. Someone's um, dying on this hill. Someone's dying on this hill. This, I'm going to try to tie a couple of things together. So you mentioned that, that you know, part of the, the, the deal with your two positions in the organisation is, is like also failing at a few things. So has it been in this project, has it been the Hillstead, sorry, the Homestead beers that you've you've kind of made the mistakes which you've both looked at each other and just go, ooh, that, that, we've learned something there? Is this, is this where, where kind of the biggest um, or opportunity or has this been the biggest opportunity to kind of make those you know, mistakes? You know, to be honest, I don't know that too many mistakes that we've made were learned at the detriment of a beer <laughs> it's typically more like equipment or process or something like that right? but um yeah i think i think in there have been certainly plenty of lessons learned in using various ingredients um you know we for various reasons um for instance we one of our beers uh was i think it was a home no it wasn't a homestead beer but um we had a beer that we did with fresh cherries and mm. uh, we decided to pit them ourselves. And that is not a task you want to do. <laughs> and it, yeah, it, it took an insane amount of time for that. But um, I don't know that too many things have been at detriment of beer. Um, we probably had one or two, I think. I can think of one specific one off the top of my head, but I won't mention it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think in general, we've, you know, and even with these, we've, like Abby was saying before, we've, we've been cautious. And when we kind of kicked off the series, we were pretty cautious. Like, I think the first beer we brewed was Mandarin, Coriander, and Basil, which yeah, thank are, you. they're a bit polarizing flavors, especially Coriander. That's kind of a love or hate. <laughs> you reckon? But, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's t-shirts about it, right? But, um, <laughs> we, um, yeah, we, we really, you know, kind of did things in steps and tried to do things in moderation until we got to where we wanted to be. And I think we've done enough of it now that we're pretty confident in our process and have it fairly well dialed in. And we still, you know, we're, we do bench top trials of along the way, you know, for instance, you know, as we're adding chili to... 8,000 liters of pineapple and jalapeno beer, you, you know, you don't want to, mm. our intention was never to make it a spicy beer, but for there to be like, you know, it's apparent and you also want <laughs> to have the flavor of the jalapenos. So, yeah. um, you know, yeah, it's I'd a, say. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. I mean, so this beer is a beautiful example about how you balance all those things up. Yeah. Yeah. Every home brewer who's listening to the podcast wants to know how to get those things right. Do you sort of have advice, yeah, coming from that home brewing background as to how you get that kind of thing right on a small level? Or is it just really there's only one way to do it, which is to have an enormous fermenter and be able to add, you know, little by little in one sense? Uh, I think, I think um, if I were going to give advice, it'd be to get creative in how you trial things and, um, you know, try where you can try to try to do bench top trials as much as you can. And, you know, whether it's with beer you're brewing or say a similar beer, you know, uh, maybe you'd find an off the shelf beer that's, you know, along the lines of maybe something you're after. And, 
you know, if you if you go and make say a homemade jalapeno extract or uh, you know whatever it might be, just yeah, I think benchtop trials are are helpful, and you know they can definitely tell you if you're doing something wrong. Um, they might not tell you if you're doing something right, but they can definitely tell you if you're doing something wrong. I'd say so. Small scale. Hmm. Now we're going to just a little reminder to everyone who's in the Zoom room with us, and we always say this, but you know, thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast. We really hope you come and join us in the Zoom room uh, because that way you get to type in your questions. Uh, so just a reminder to everyone who's in the room with us, we're going to be throwing to some audience Q and A in a question or two, but not quite yet. So please keep going, Mr. Warren Wu. Ah, oh, I was going to dive into the traditional cool room question because. It's always a nice time to, to go into that. So, uh, guys, you, whoever can, whoever wants to kick off can go. But what is the most weird, strange, gross, funny thing you've seen in a cool room? And we define we define cool room just as loosely as we see as we define strange. So, any brewing or hospitality environment. Yeah, winery even. You know. <laughs> oh. Abby's, Abby's rethinking her answer. <laughs> but, yeah. and, and we certainly don't want you to name names. The, no, no, no. no I saw, I did see this question that you put out, and I was like, I actually have no idea. I don't think I've been around long enough for this. So I don't know. I um I actually I actually don't have an answer. It, it, I, I do not have an answer. Oh, actually, mm, I don't know if this is weird, but um I might just go completely off topic, but if you're relating to winery, my um, my dad did this course one time where you could make like, uh, it was like homemade sausages or something. And anyway, like I grew up on the winery. And so um, one day, I know I went down to see him at work and um, he, he's just put this rope up like all throughout the wine cellar and hanging all down. It was just like, heaps of truth so just like heaps and heaps and all these sausages and i was like i, I don't know what to say but uh sweet yeah. <laughs> you, you didn't invite your friends from school back for you know a little while not that time <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that's kind of the answer you wanted but i mean exactly yeah. i don't know it was kind of weird and i was and it, it after a few months it tasted pretty good but um, it was really bizarre, like walking into it. It was just like ropes of like sausage everywhere. And I'm like, what? I mean, I think by way of context, Mr. Warren Wu, when you were first on the podcast, what was your answer as to the confronting thing you found in the cool room? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like a shark. Yeah, my my right. parents were restaurants. So they're like a shark. And the, the, the landlord was a big fisherman. So a shark. Okay, that's weird. But still, <laughs> like, yeah. And once again, proving that your dad is the coolest human being ever. Like, <laughs> There's something yeah. going on here. I'm not sure I'm entirely comfortable. Yeah, with I want to know, like, yeah, because yeah, winemakers uh, just tend to be really cool. <laughs> yeah, John, John, <laughs> John, how about you? Yeah, yeah, I've um, it's funny, mine is also meat. <laughs> uh, there's a handful of things I, I think of, and like, we had uh, some sparkling chai exploding cans once we made a birthday cake beer once um 
we had a guy who worked in our venue who um liked to ferment things so he had this like <laughs> tray in the cold room that was like Declan's tray of fermentable fun or something and so it was like uh you know we'd have kimchi or uh you know sauerkraut or all these different things it was actually all really good but even just the um, phrase i like to ferment things we put on a t-shirt yeah totally but um the uh the one i think about is um we have this farmer um who collects a bit of our spent grain um he's an older guy <laughs> and he, he comes in every day he scoops it all out himself um you know it doesn't get four like on his truck <laughs> yeah he's he's an older guy but he's he's such a character but he he brings in a lot of random things <clears throat> like uh, typically it's you know something from the farm like maybe some grapefruits or some avocados and then um <clears throat> once fairly early on he brought in just this like uh just a chunk of meat like you couldn't even really you you didn't like you look at it and it's not like a cut of meat that you can really tell what it was <clears throat> yes but anyways um so i'm really big into smoking things like i'm like oh i'll throw it on the smoker see how it cooks up i have no <laughs> idea what it is like it literally looked like it was just chopped out of an animal and, like roast pigs and everything <laughs> yeah Anyways, well, I, we threw it in the hop freezer and I wound up forgetting about it. And then I think the hop freezer thawed one day and I don't remember who it was. I think it was Mark. He's an old, he used to kind of run our cellar and he wound up reaching to the bottom of the hop freezer and it was just like a big, bloody, disgusting mess in the bottom. It was so awful. It was but, so gross. <laughs> That's so you never identified what the actual meat was in the first place. It was only the after effects. Yeah. That... No, no. But I, th I think it was pork because he actually brought in maybe like a year later, he brought in just a like a pig leg. And um, that one I actually smoked up. I didn't leave it in the hot freezer. So we enjoyed that one. <laughs> it was more distinguishable. Yeah. <laughs> It's we're going through the process of cleaning out the uh, the family fridges and freezers at the moment, you know, to get everything ready to go, and we found small little packets of, you know, sort of cheap straz that we had to train the dog when we first got the dog, who's now seven or eight, you know, down <laughs> at the bottom of that. So yeah. I am totally feeling the vibe that you. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. And I like the dextery idea of like a a free like a freezer defrosting, and there's like this mess in the bottom of the freezer which you can't identify. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> For anyone who's worked in hospital, particularly sort of in restaurants and stuff, there is that sort of moment either when the power goes out, which is a relevant mm. conversation in Australia at the moment, or just like it's it's the Christmas one week break and everything gets turned off and you come yeah. in and clean out the bottom of it. It can be a pretty confronting job. <laughs> um, um, we're going to move on in mm. a moment to have a quick chat about the nitro stout which yeah. is in the pack uh, I, I added this to the list because it's one of my favourite styles of beer um, so let's make sure that everyone on the podcast and in the Zoom room has those ready to go and we'll have a couple of audience questions at the end of that um, nitro stouts are sort of famously something that different people have different opinions on how it should be poured. So mm -hmm. before anyone opens it, do you want to give us a bit of an idea, guys, um, whichever one of you wants to take the question, 
how should this beer be poured into a glass? I'd give it, uh, you don't want to give it a hard shake. Like um, I'd say maybe two kind of upside down and upright shakes and then just- A g- gentle um, upside crack. down? Sort of? yeah. yeah, not not hard. Yeah, just fairly gentle, like at a, I don't know, I'd say a normal pace, but I can't even show you because I don't have video. I was going to say, everyone in the <laughs> Zoom I'm, room is doing their own I, impersonations of what they should I mean, be. Haven't got it. Nope. Yep. I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doing with- yeah. Just, yeah, just kind of like that. <laughs> Sorry you know to all the Norwegians that listen to the podcast a week later. You have no <laughs> idea what we're talking about. But same, same, yeah, but different. You don't, you don't want to overshake it, but the idea behind doing that is that um, so when we package that, we put we dose it with liquid nitrogen after the can's been filled. So it's got this nitrogen that gets dropped on top of the beer and then a lid's dropped on that and it's seamed and it's sealed. But um, nitrogen doesn't like to stay in solution. So um, you, um, even if it had been shaken, like on its en route to you or something, it would still want to separate out from the fluid. So um, the idea behind that, uh, the concept and the, what's actually happening is that, you know, the nitrogen is just sitting on the top kind of headspace of the beer. And so you just want to shake it up to get it, into solution a bit and you don't want to overly do it otherwise you might get a bit of a spray and um yeah do that crack it two shakes is all i would do crack it and then pour it basically directly upside down somewhat of a hard pour and then um yeah give it you know give it a second to kind of do the cascading effect of nitrogen escaping solution again and yeah yeah, i think Totally. So, so why people do that? And I think James's point is is uh, in the cool room chat uh, as we're doing this is right that these cans feel firmer, but I reckon you can you can feel it firm up. You can almost you know like a certain kind of fruit at the market. You know you can pick up a can of nitro. It'll have a bit of flex in it to start with. You do what we're talking about with turning it upside down a couple of times, mm. and you'll feel if you squeeze the middle of the can that there's no give in that can anymore. And that, uh, that's when it's ripe and ready to go. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and, they're, and they are firmer. It's, a, it's an interesting thing because so when you're, when you're dosing with nitrogen, you want to, it's, it's interesting, you kind of play around with different dosing rates, A, trying to get the appropriate amount to get nice cascading effect and something that also generates a really nice kind of silky, creamy head. Um, and um, the other thing is also not having too much, um, but um, it's uh, what nitrogen does as soon as it's dosed, because it's it's kind of under pressure, it's a liquid, you dose it on top of this can at atmospheric pressure. And what nitrogen does then is it immediately wants to convert to a gas. And when mm. it does that, it expands to 700 times its size. And so in doing that, that's kind of where you get that added pressure generation and then, you know, you give it a shake and it becomes even firmer. So, um, yeah. How much are you, so when you say you're dosing liquid nitrogen, how much are you dosing in? Like if, if it's expanding so much, that's. It's, it's very little. Yeah. It's very little. It's um, trying to think of how I can describe it. Like a couple of mil, get, a couple of milliliters. Not oh uh, maybe maybe a uh, mil. Oh maybe. wow! Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That 
is yeah, that's mind blowing. Maybe maybe two mils, yeah, yeah. one to two mils, somewhere in there, I'd guess. And and like we, we you, dose more based on uh, like a time. You, like when you have your doser, it's you kind of set a time for how long it doses, but it's not terribly measurable. It's part of the problem. And, and this might mm. be the most like this is a completely genuinely naive question. Is the beer normally carbonated before you do that nitro, or do you? Oh, we yeah, we do. You carbonate it a little bit, so we uh-huh. we carbonate it to two CO two volumes. If anyone's familiar with that, um, mm-hmm. which is a fair bit less than any un non nitro beer you'd typically have, um, and that's most specifically to add a small bit of mouthfeel mm-hmm. um, and also aid in kind of retaining you know a bit of foam there. So, and when you've dosed the nitrogen, how quickly do you need to stick a lid on? Like, a, yeah, this is the other thing in my straight head. Away. Yeah, yeah, it's I think it'll away. have to be immediate. So the dosing yeah. and then sealing and then done. Get yeah, it. Yeah, our doser is just before the lid gets put on it, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's I don't know, maybe a, a split second. It's pretty quick. Ah. Ah. Um, that's yeah, that's it's kind of mind blowing, uh, yeah, because to, to describe the process, um, one of the questions, well, that really that really harks back to, to a theme we've been revisiting is so, this beer is definitely not a queen. Well, we wouldn't think it's a Queensland beer, but then again, you wouldn't think that that I don't know, Nigeria is the, the biggest consumers of Guinness either, so. Like in terms of how this beer sits with your audience, do you get do you, do you get people really loving it? Do you get people really? Into- yeah, there's there's absolute you know um, nitro stout lovers, and we have mm-hmm. regulars who you know just smash it year round. And I think I think there's something about having that kind of really Moorish option for any time that you know I think. I think sits well with people and you know it's obviously you probably don't sell as much in summertime as you would in say winter time for obvious reasons but um yeah it's it seems to have a place and I think it's for me I guess more more so than anything is that you know there's it's nice to have that moorish option you know and that's that's kind of what it is it's a sweet stout and it's you know it's kind of roasty and sweet and um creamy and all that type of stuff so yeah yeah um i reckon we might move into audience questions and being the kind of perverse person that i am we've got five audience questions lined up in the room but i'm really tempted to go to question four and question five first Mm. uh because they relate directly to this beer so if everyone's happy to bear with us while we'll do this i'm going to ask uh, my good friend David uh, to unmute and um, ask your question, mate. Please, it's, it's a ripper. It's a good way to start off. Good on you. Thanks for that. Uh, and uh, thanks, John. Look, I, I, I grew up with, I guess, uh, CUV, Abbotsford, Invalid, uh, uh, Stout, which I still love. Um, I enjoy this, uh, this one very much. It's, it's very chocolatey and enjoyable. Can you explain, please? I, I genuinely do not know what makes a stout a stout. Yeah, the uh, the biggest thing that makes a stout a stout is, 
I mean, obviously it's dark um, and typically almost always very, not always, but pretty full-bodied, very full-flavored. And, you know, it'd be made with a fair bit of roasted malt, which um, is going to give a lot of that and a lot of the coffee character, the chocolate character, those types of things. And um, yeah, it's in the, in the intention of just making a dark, full-flavored beer, really. Um, and in doing so, you get the chocolatey, roasty, coffee kind of characters from you know, using roasted barley, um, chocolate malt, things like that. So so can we just explain perhaps what chocolate malt means? Again, for people who are new to it all, is there actual chocolate added to this beer or does chocolate malt mean something? Can you explain what that means? Just to, to give people a bit of an idea about what well, goes into making a beer um, like this. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not, there's not actual chocolate in it um it's uh roasted to an extent that you accentuate the most amount of chocolate characters so um you know when you with malt um and i'll try not to go into too much about no no please please, it's important to explain some of that yeah so um you know the malting process in general is where you take um you know, barley typically, um, or grains in general. And, um, you kind of, you, you basically, you, you take them raw, you germinate them, you kind of germinate them to a certain extent and then you finish it there and then you dry them and then you roast them to an extent and you can roast them very lightly, which is what makes most beers. And that's typically your pale malts type of type of things. And then, um, you can roast them to a different extent and at different temperatures, which bring out different characters. So it could be color, it could be caramel, it could be uh, coffee, and it could be chocolate. And it's it's all about how long you roast something because what's what happen? Yeah, what what's what's happening when you're doing that is inside inside of that you know bit of grain. There's all these starches inside of there, and they slowly caramelize and you know, depending how long you do it and what temperature you kind of accentuate different things and they generate different colors. And, you know, it could just be really roasty or it could be, you know, a bit of a coffee character or chocolate. And, you know, it, it all depends what grain you use, how long you roast it and what, and at what temperature. So. I think it's, it's fascinating. It's particularly worth saying that, you know, some of the bees that we have do have, coffee extract or coffee added to it or chocolate added to it. And so I think they're fascinating to have alongside a beer, which is made with very traditional techniques. Uh, And just to see how many of those flavors can a good brewer can bring out without adding sort of extracts and other flavors to them. Absolutely. Um, I think good time to to move over to Mark if you're in the room with us and are ready to unmute, mate, because you had another question specifically about this beer before we move into a couple more general questions from the audience. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Dave. Hey, uh, Jonathan Abbey, loved all your beers. They've all been fantastic, everyone I've tasted. Yeah, um, thank you. Uh, just uh, two sub-questions, um, two questions in one. Sorry, Dave. But... Um, the, the that first wasn't one, one we agreed, Mark, but sure, fire away, mate. No, no, just real quick questions. Um, I love stouts and um, I love Guinness and so forth, but um, 
with, with the uh, nitro, does that sort of um, lighten the, the mouthfeel or, or the viscosity feeling to the beer, like it, um, make, fluff it up in layman's it, terms? It, it absolutely does um, for a few different reasons. One of them is you have less carbonation, so you lose your, you know, the natural kind of CO2 carbonation that you're used to, which is a big, big mouthfeel character um, because we've carbonated it much less. And then you know, in addition to that, nitrogen does not like to stay in solution. So as soon as it's in it and you've shaken the beer and poured it, it also comes out of solution very quickly. So um, you lose that type of mouthfeel. Um, and with this beer, the intention was to actually accentuate kind of the sweet and creaminess of the beer and take away a bit of that, you know, the, the carbonated kind of nature of a mouthfeel from it. So... Okay, that, that brings me to my second sub-question. Um, in Queensland, like, um, I've been up there and a lot of people, because of the climate, might not be right into the night, uh, the stout, sorry, but does that sort of help with the, uh, the market there, like having more of a, a lighter-bodied stout? Uh, I'd say um, I, I'm not quite sure what to say. Um, I think it's been... It's certainly been well received, and um, I think you know it's it's maybe polarizing for for various you know parts of the community. But I'd say, yeah, I'd say the beer as we made it has has, has been pretty well received, yeah, in general. I think like. Like uh, that, when you add like nitro to it, I think it just really helps with the, the mouthfeel. Um, I think it really helps with the mouthfeel of the beer. But you're always going to have dark beer drinkers out there, no matter what. Like no, no matter what season, where you are, what climate it is, you're always going to have dark beer drinkers, and they're going to stick to their guns no matter what. So if you've got an option for them, they're going to be mm. happy that um, that you do have an option for them. And I don't think nitro really makes it a lighter body beer it just really helps the mouth the feel and the fullness of the beer and um mm. yeah i think it just helps in that regard and it, it is a milk stout so um it does have lactose in it um so it just kind of helps with that creaminess and that body that we're trying to bring forward it, i wouldn't necessarily say it's light bodied i think it just helps with the mouth feel of it and um even though it is queensland they're still dark beer drinkers and they love it. So, yeah. Um, is it, is it, do you serve it in the, in the tap room and is it, is it not? Yeah. yeah. So it's you're on a nitro. Poured on nit- every, like every way that we serve it is on nitro. So it's poured unless, yeah, no, it's, it's poured on nitro in our tap room and we um, also can it dosed with nitrogen as well. So that's the way it's meant to be made. So um, Yeah. And definitely no no means it's I don't personally I don't think it's like light bodied it's more to help with the mouth feel of the mm-hmm. whole the whole beer to make it nice and smooth and creamy it's a milk stout so it's meant to be creamy you know yeah it's a ripper answer I think it sort of comes back to Mark's first question there Jacob are you with us there I can't tell behind your special little image there. 
if we're not, we're going to go into James's next two questions. There was a nice segue there about Queensland, but James, you had two questions: one for uh, one for Abby, one for John. Um, do you want to fire away with those? Please? I know, quite greedy, right? But um, I'm just going to start by thanking you both because, for for many reasons, for tonight, but also because I've enjoyed your beers during uh, mm. ongoing lockdowns. I've ordered from you and thoroughly enjoyed because. Jacob and I got a recommendation from a friend who lives near you and I ordered from you and it was great. Um, and particularly uh, my shop around the corner has sold the fresh hop IPA and that was delicious as well. So I've really enjoyed that as well, but um, I have two questions. So one for you, one for um, Abby and one for Jonathan. So I wanted to ask about, winemakers seem to turn up in these sorts of fora all the time and do you think it's because winemakers are really good uh with their palates and you know what what drew you to brewing i guess is the question um well first of all i'd like to say i'm glad you enjoyed all the beers during lockdown <laughs> i'm glad we could help in one way or another but um i guess in terms of getting drawn to beer I mean there's in like the less serious note there's always winemakers always enjoy a beer after a hard day's work I'm not gonna lie we don't sit down and have a wine we always sit down and have a beer Mm -hmm. um but I don't know if I can speak for anyone else but in my experience I think it was more just going to the states experience that whole craft beer industry that it's going over there which is obviously a few years ahead of us here um and yeah I think it's just that kind of um connection with fermentation really it's more it it's an understanding of a science that is similar but different enough between the both of them and I think it has the same kind of qualities as wine set like in winemaking a lot of people say it's an art but a science and I think it's like quite similar with brewing as well um you can be so creative in making a beer and creating a recipe you can really do whatever you want so um that's what really drew me to brewing was um yeah to be able to be creative and have that same kind of understanding and something that I can relate to that can be different enough that I can create a whole new product out of nothing well not nothing but like when you really look at the breakdown of a beer, you have so many raw ingredients. And then at, after a few weeks, the end product, you just, it's so awesome to be able to see like you have, yeah, this amazing brew or something that you can be proud of to share with a lot of people. And I think for me, that was something that I could relate to, to be able to make something for people to enjoy as well. And um, yeah, I'm not sure about other winemakers, um, but like I said, a winemaker loves a beer at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, I think it was something that I could really relate to as well. And it, it wasn't too far out of my pathway that it was had it was a whole new career. It was something that I understood, but at the same time, I could still um, kind of learn and expand my knowledge. So, yeah, hopefully well, that's that cool. Question. Yeah, no, thanks. And, uh, you know, I guess an, a bunch of winemakers end up turning their hand to beer making so yeah yeah no, it's really cool so um but also in saying that I'm not just in the wine wine making I, it it's a pretty cool 
thing to be able to do is to make both. So, um, yeah. Give yeah, it. Moving through Agreed. your question, James, you're, you're doing wonderful as you see our third host tonight. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I'm here to serve. Um, I've got a question for Jonathan, which is around um, Colorado. I wanted to know which breweries in particular mm. appealed to him when he lived there. Mm. I've held off asking this question for you, James, yeah. can I say, because I, it's a great question. Uh, yeah, well, that's it's a tough one. Um, and sorry, I think my internet was breaking up just before, so I don't know how much of anything you caught that I was saying. It's but, okay. um, I'll, I'll dub something else in later, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty tough one. Um, like I've been, there's so many great breweries, like so many great breweries. And um, there's a fair few that have been around a long time. And there's, you know, like uh, New Belgium's there. And I remember touring them and like 2006 or something like that. And, um, you know, that it's, there's so many different good things and they grew massively from then. But um, yeah, I think, um, if I were going to choose one, there's a, a brewery that I always think about um, in terms of like what maybe inspired me to uh, um, become a home brewer and do those types of things. There's actually two of them, but there's one. Um, I went to uni in Golden, Colorado, which is just outside of Denver. It's where Coors is based. But um, oh, anyway, so Coors it is. No worries. We'll just, we'll just close <laughs> off the podcast. The fantastic to have uh, heard your opinions, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but just around the corner from um, is this place called uh, Golden City Brewery. Hold on, John. Hold on, John. And, uh, Hold on. <laughs> right Hold on, John. We would go there. Hey, John. Stop for a tick. Hold on. Let's let let's see if we can get the internet to catch up again. Yes. And yeah, before you give that wonderful, we really want to hear it. So. Yeah, we really want to hear the answer, so we're just waiting for the internet to catch up again, and then we'll give it another shot and see if we can hear that. Yeah. Oh my god, is it that bad? Or can you hear me now? Oh. <laughs> uh, I think the cause thing might be the last thing you ever say. In the <laughs> I think David jinxed you. <laughs> oh, please no. <laughs> That's better. I mean, yeah. That's good. That's Quick, good. Job. Go fast. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, that's good. That's okay. Good. Yeah, sweet. Anyways, there's this little tiny brewery called Golden City Brewery up the street from there near my uni. And um, it was a brewery that this guy had built in his house. And they um, made their tap room like their sunroom. And um, it was the coolest little place and it wound up becoming like a small little actual venue. He transformed his backyard into, you know, a little courtyard and like a beer garden. And um, yeah, the guy would show us around every, you know, we'd go by there every week and he'd come and chat to us and, you know, you check out his like literally homemade kit and he's still open to this day. And there's something about that brewery that, um, probably spurred me to want it that's that's what spurred me into home brewing which you know i think about today is yeah pretty pretty big so that's pretty amazing it's a great story love i love it. that i love even it. better than cause 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I can almost envisage that. Like, it just, you're just like, yeah, homebrew kit in the garage, which isn't unusual, but then like wandering into the, the dude's sunroom to, to just sit around drinking. Like, it's. Yes. Yeah, it was so wild and he'd, he'd get so packed. And I, I'm pretty certain he still does to this day. Wow. Uh, such an awesome spot. Great beers, everything. So. We've yeah. got to go there, Warren Wu. That's where we've got to go. Yeah, Colorado. I'd love to go Colorado. Yeah, yeah we've got to be like a hidden gem amongst all the massive breweries that are there. Yeah. So Which is, there is a mass. So it's pretty amazing to. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We've got, yeah. we've got one audience question left from our very good friend, Jacob. Uh, and then we're going to close off the official recording and we can all sit around and just sip on beers together. Queenslanders and others may have to leave us a bit earlier, but that's one of the great things about being in the cool room. We're going to drink our way through the rest of the awesome six pack that we have from you guys. And uh, for people who aren't already familiar with the cool room podcast, check out the Shopify. You get the beers home delivered to you, and then you get to sit around and drink them with the brewers, head brewers, lead brewers, assistant brewers, all of the other terminology. And, um, and just to talk about beers with good friends. So, uh, Jacob, please unmute yourself and ask your question, my friend. Yeah, uh, and thank you to John and Abby for their, their time and their delicious beers. Um, and uh, as James said, a good friend of ours, uh, Andreas, I'll mention his first name. He, he, you owe him a beer because he's been in James and I here and we've uh, enjoyed many a Sea Legs beer because of him. He's a, you know, kangaroo point local. Um, but, oh, yeah, I... Um, I thoroughly enjoyed these, but I was, my question is actually very uh, specific to where you live, and that is Queensland and Brisbane. And I'm wondering what makes a tropical beer, you know, what makes it so delicious and thirst quenching that, you know, when you have that extreme humidity, particularly in summer in Brisbane, you're on maybe in your Queenslander house on the veranda watching the storms roll in the evening. What's that perfect Queenslander beer that, or, you know, tropical beer you want to have? And I, I'd like to hear an answer from both of you unless they're exactly the same. Can I, I'm going to cut across you for two seconds there before we even start to answer. I have my, imagine I'm in Norway, imagine I'm in Japan, imagine I'm in Colombia thing on. You talk about a Queenslander, James, but even people in Australia don't know what a Queenslander is in terms of architecture. You're describing something very particular there. Why don't you have a little crack at explaining where you imagine uh, people are sitting when they're drinking this beer in Queensland? Do you mean me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a Queenslander house. Okay, so a Queenslander house, it's built for the tropical climes. It's uh, on stilts, basically, which helps with ventilation and flooding. And they often have a veranda that goes around the whole house, which may be enclosed or not enclosed and just totally made of wood. So when they have their one or two weeks of winter, they will freeze to death. But it's it's a great, otherwise a great house for the climate. Um you know, I've, I've been on that part of the world a bit and lived there a bit, so I, I know it. But uh, but you often sit there on the um, the the balcony, not balcony, so the veranda, and you can watch the storms roll in, and you know it's like where a gin and tonic's appropriate or something. But beers are very appropriate as well, and I just want to hear what what's the tropical beer. Well, for, for me, it's it's tough not to say our tropical lager. Um, and I think the intention of the beer in general for probably me um, 
was always to be exactly that, you know, it's that it's, it's a refreshing lager that's clean and easy drinking um, and not terribly robust. So something you can enjoy while you're out on the veranda at the end of the day and you have all the doors and windows open and you're, you're getting the fresh breeze through and all that type of stuff. And, but at the same time that um, has a, I wouldn't say a robust character to it, but an apparent, you know, fruity tropical kind of character to it that ideally pairs well with, you know, having, having something that quenches your thirst from, you know, the backbone of the beer. It's, you know, it's clean, it's crisp. Um, it's not heavy. Um, but there's, you know, there's an apparent other kind of character there to, to kind of associate with that and to really, you know, give you something that's, you know, a beer version of, and I'm not going to say that's what our tropical lager is, but like a gin and tonic, you know, there's, there's a character there that's, that's kind of giving you something else, you know, as opposed to just a beer. Right. So, um, and I think, you know, for us, that was, and for me, that was always the intention. And I think, you know, there's a bit of character there for it. And, you know, I live in a Queenslander and I, to this day still will crack one of those at the end of a hot summer day and unless it's been a long day then it's an IPA but um <clears throat> yeah absolutely so I'm gonna wrap things up there I sent Warren a message to see if he wanted to wrap things up he's ignored that message that's a wonderfully Warren thing to do um Guys, John, Abby, you've been really generous with your time. It's it's two hours and we've got to drink through some amazing beers. I really hope that uh, people outside of Queensland, uh, particularly in Victoria, where we're based, but right around the world, get to get a bit of an idea about the amazing beers that you make. Um, I think you've heard, if you listen to the podcast, just how in love people are with the particularly the pineapple and jalapeno, the nitro stout. Uh, everyone is raving about them in the chat. Uh, it's been a fantastic opportunity. Um, John, Abby, do you want to give the socials for the brewery so people can follow along and any socials for yourselves you might want to share? Yeah, I, um, yeah, it's our, our Instagram is probably the biggest one, Instagram and Facebook. I think and, he's um, saying it's at the, the oh, Instagram USA. Wait, say that again, John. You're cutting out again. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So for Sea Legs, it's you know Instagram is probably our big one. It's Sea Legs Brewing Co. at Sea Legs Brewing Co. Um, yeah, give us a follow. Um, it's always heaps of content there. Um, you can keep updated on. You know, the nine limited releases we have in tanks that are coming up soon. <laughs> Absolutely. We didn't really discuss those, but it's a great way to keep up to date with those. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Give us a follow. And um, yeah, I guess for me, just want to thank everyone for, you know, first for, you know, you guys having us and, you know, to everyone for their feedback and support and all of that. And um, yeah, really appreciate the time. and. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, thank you so much. It's it's great to see how many people out there are really enjoying our beer, even like interstate and everything. So it's it's really nice to hear the feedback and everything. So yeah, I really appreciate it. 
Awesome, guys. You'll always be our first Queensland brewery, which is pretty <laughs> special to us. Uh, we're going to stop the recording. That's when the real discussions happen. Uh, make sure you keep on the uh, socials with Sea Legs. Make sure you keep up to date with the Cool Room socials so you can come, come along and join us in the flesh and online. Thanks, Sea Legs. Have a good night. Thank you. Have a good night, everyone.